TOGA is the leading thoracic cancer trials group in Australia and New Zealand, and it's a multidisciplinary and patient-centric group of leading clinicians, nurses, allied health professionals and researchers, as well as patient advocates uh, that conducts high quality and clinically relevant research in order to improve outcomes for patients with thoracic cancers. My name is Emily Stone and I'm a thoracic physician at St Vincent's Hospital in Sydney. Lung cancer, as we know, is the leading cause of cancer-related death in Australia. 13,000 people will be diagnosed this year alone with 9,000 deaths. TOGA is working to positively change this outcome through an innovative clinical trials program and by providing medical education and awareness. And as part of this in this podcast, we talk with Professor Kwan Fong from the Prince Charles Hospital and University of Queensland about the urgent need for a national lung cancer screening program and the latest evidence that supports this case, who we should screen and how we should do it. Thank you and welcome to Professor Fong to, for joining us today. So first of all, I, um, I would love to discuss what we know about screening and uh, the, the data and the science that supports it. What do we know that tell us that this works? Oh, thanks, Emily. It's a great opportunity to be here. Thank you to Toga for this opportunity and, the, and congratulations to Toga on the excellent research work it's doing to try and improve outcomes for this awful disease. Well, as you mentioned, it's an exciting time for screening in that the research is now uh, really concluded that lung cancer screening using low-dose CT scans, that's uh, the normal CTs that one has for different conditions, but at a very low dose, so it reduces the radiation risk, is now been shown to save lives from lung cancer. And that's been proven in a large American study, the US NLST study, as well as a European study, a Dutch-Belgian study, which both of them showing significant reductions in lung cancer mortality, i.e. lung cancer deaths from regular screening. So I guess at this stage, the, uh, they, these are both published and peer-reviewed, and I think the, the evidence is solid now that lung cancer screening uh, works, and it's now for all of us who work in this field to try and help people to prevent and to uh, treat lung cancer better is to work out how we can implement it to help our own communities and our own people. What do you think have been the barriers um, to introducing screening? Because as many people in our audience will be aware, the first study that showed that screening worked was published almost a decade ago. Uh, what, what's held us up in Australia, do you think? Oh, yes, barriers. There are barriers to new interventions. And of course, screening uh, uh, also is a very large population and public health issue. And we know from other screening uh, that works for breast cancer, bowel cancer, and cervical cancer that there are many issues uh, to deal with the science, the evidence now is, that's proven, and then the implementation, the uptake of that into the community, which requires everyone to be involved, from government, from funders, from the participants, and then the health service providers to deliver the service to make sure this is a safe and effective service that does what it's supposed to do, i.e. to detect early lung cancer that can be cured and to avoid any potential harms to participating uh, people. And that's incredibly important, is it? Because there's an enormous difference for patients with lung cancer depending on when they're diagnosed. And could you just put the audience in the picture for that? Because it really tells us a bit more about why we should screen, I suppose. Yes, and that is that is a very good point. And the late stage of diagnosis is one of the reasons for the poor survival rates for lung cancer in the past. Unlike other cancers which have screening, that when we see cancers now in practice, unfortunately, when you have symptoms, lung cancers are often advanced 
or spread to other organs, other parts of the body, which makes it very difficult to cure. So the intention is to shift the diagnosis for people with very early stage lung cancer into the clinic so that they can be offered curative treatments. And we have very effective surgery and modern techniques such as uh, stereotactic radiation, which allows very pinpoint radiation doses to treat successfully small cancers. So that's the intent of screening. And for people who might not know, what would be a, a straightforward way to, to describe the difference in, say, survival for people who might have a screening-detected lung cancer versus somebody who goes to their GP with symptoms and it's late? Well, if you've got stage four disease, you know, the survival rates differ from where you live and where you are, but it is in the order of 15 to 20%. Whereas if the early stage, which is stage one, survival rate at five years is over 65%. So that is the start. Yeah, as you were to say, it's a stark difference and, and it's quite dramatic. Um, where are we at in Australia with, with tr trying to bring this in and where we as a, as a potential screening community uh, could understand um, in terms of policy, in terms of the government support for screening? Oh, th thanks, Emily. Again, a good question. You know, in Australia, we're very lucky across the board. Healthcare is provided well and we have very good health outcomes. And it's through efforts through community organisations and also TOGA and similar research organisations that seek to implement develop new ways. Now, uh, at the moment in Australia, there have been important efforts made. The health minister uh, called for a report and inquiry into the possibility of lung cancer screening and Cancer Australia has done an excellent job and recently produced and published the report on the lung cancer screening. That's called the report on, the, on lung cancer screening inquiry, which has been um, presented to the minister, and we look forward to the actions. Now, um, we're at the stage now where we're in an advanced uh, country where we have modern therapies, and now we need to work out how to rapidly translate the evidence that's out there into a program for Australians that can see these benefits reach our communities as soon as possible. And looking, you know, looking around Australia and, and, and the geography and the distances and how, um, uh, the, I guess, the, the, the makeup of the country, what, what would be some of the challenges that we'd have to address um, to, to do this? Because it's very different, isn't it, from screening in some overseas countries? That's right. The sheer size and breadth of our wonderful country makes it difficult. Isn't it? But that's one of the other multiple other factors you know we've got to also think social economic groups um the aboriginal and torres strait islander peoples um called the country and linguistic diverse populations and other groups we who don't do as well currently with current treatments and so we need to think about all the uh, underserved populations and how we can make sure that screening if implemented does not increase the health disparities so yes implementation issues in each of those populations, each of those obstacles needs to be carefully considered and implementation strategies and um, implementation projects need to be put in place to make sure that we deliver this across the board in an equitable and universal fashion. Mm. And I, I, I know that um, fairly recently Lung Foundation Australia identified equity of access as a particular issue in lung cancer. And uh, are there any other sort of ways we'd want to address this for lung cancer screening, presuming we're able to bring it in? 
Yes, I mean, there are many uh, strategies and uh, thought about just an example about the rural and remote, you know, the intention, and this is mentioned in the Cancer Australia report about mobile CT screening. So there'll be different solutions, uh, fit for purpose solutions for different obstacles. And absolutely, Lung Foundation is passionate and does an incredible job at advocating for the groups which are outside mainstream groups, which will which are generally the group which is covered by the research evidence and the initial implementation. But we need to cover the whole continuum, the spectrum of people who would benefit in mind as we embark on any such national program. And this, these programs are not uh, able to operate on their own, really. You have to have them fit into existing health systems. We have to make sure that smoking cessation and primary prevention uh, methods, avoiding asbestos, air pollution, diesel, those things are also part and parcel and the established strategies and established interventions are also uh, included into any national program to really value add and to make sure we cover all the bases. And I'd like to explore smoking cessation and the sense of um, what's called targeted screening a little more for the audience. So the the published um, studies that you referred to very much aimed the programs at people with a relatively uh, lengthy uh, history of heavy smoking. How does this translate into our current plans and what might happen in the future, do you think? Oh, Ellie, a great question. You know, scientifically, and of course, the trials had initially had to focus on the biggest uh, highest risk population who would benefit, which, as you mentioned, are the heavier smokers who are currently or, or recently stopped smoking. But we all know from, you know, from our own experience and as professionals, we know there are people who don't fall within that category. There are many people who have successfully given up smoking through great public health efforts who still remain at some risk. So we do need to now think about those people not covered by the criteria used to uh, to show the lung cancer mortality benefit in this early screening trials, but also to consider those who don't fall within those categories. And that includes uh, the important, a small but important subset of lung cancer which occur in people who have never ever smoked. And therefore, it's uh, not a high profile diagnosis and sometimes 10 you know, could be uh, somewhat delayed at times because of that lack of recognition that this is uh, an important uh, uh, subgroup. So those are important populations that we need to start thinking about now uh, whilst we hopefully, you know, implement lung cancer screening for the traditional group, but we do need to make sure that we think about the other people who are affected by lung cancer. And you mentioned some of the other possible risk factors for lung cancer in terms of diesel asbestos, etc. In terms of um, primary prevention, how, how would we sort of interweave this with our current approaches to screening, do you think? I think we know we need to make use of the interventions that we have in place now that are funded that we know are effective. And then we need to tailor that to the program and also use the program as a, a, an opportunity, a teachable opportunity to get people who are still smoking into those programs to make sure that they take, take advantage of the effective strategies to help them improve their health. So key to work with and also to develop unique um, interventions within a smoking, a, smoking, a screening program to make sure that we cover, you know, the, the people who don't necessarily respond to the traditional smoking cessation interventions. 
And I, I'm intrigued uh, by some of the overseas experience, uh, particularly I'm thinking from the United Kingdom, where uh, lung cancer screening provides a, a sort of a general health opportunity. Um, is that something we could think about in Australia, do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, we know that there are a lot of other diseases, incidental comorbid diseases, or we'd call it in the profession, but, you know, things like heart disease, uh, lung disease, which are, there are effective treatments and interventions, and these are significant morbidities, you know, they cause significant impact on quality of life and, 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 and disease. So, therefore, we need, definitely need to think about how we handle those uh, conditions that we find and how we can make use of effective treatments. In addition, screening has the opportunity to help us all as health professionals understand the importance of early detection and detecting early lung cancers. Um, as, as we mentioned, currently in routine practice, most cancers are at a late stage. And Cancer Australia has done a lot of work and provided a lot of guidance, including to the, our frontline GPs, our partners in this very important fight to try and detect cancers earlier by giving guidance to look for important signs. And I think the screening effort will highlight all these uh, red flags, all these uh, signs that we all need to look out for to try and get a lung cancer diagnosed as early as possible to provide the best benefit of the people who are unfortunate enough to suffer that cancer. And one of the things that I think we worry about in the lung cancer community is thinking about people who present with symptoms and uh, late stage disease is sometimes um, people are a little held back from seek, seeking help uh, when they might be worried about lung cancer. And how do you see us in Australia addressing some of those reasons for, for people in that setting, but also how it might affect screening, some concern about presenting for help? Well, thank you, Emily, for bringing that important issue of stigma nihilism. This has been highlighted in recent years by the incredible work of the Lung Foundation Australia working with consumers and advocates. And we know that in Australia and around the world there exists significant stigma nihilism that is an obstacle to people and uh, carers getting to treat uh, patients with lung cancer effectively and early. So these are absolutely important issues that we need to address. We need to address that across a multitude of uh, ways to make sure that patients will want, will be empowered to seek help for their attention and that medical providers and healthcare providers are able to take into account that uh, their stigma nihilism uh, still exists, but that there are very effective treatments now that both are able to cure as well as prolong life and improve quality of life for people who have advanced stages and not able to be cured. So there is a vast improvement of the treatment options and really it's beholden in all of us to make sure that people who have this awful disease are able to access the treatments that we have in place now. I think that's right, isn't it? Not only with screening, but with, with introduction of therapies like the radiotherapy you've discussed and some of the, uh, the drug treatments that have come in for lung cancer. I think what we can offer people is radically different from before and from what many people, I think, probably assume is still the case. Um, I'm interested in the question of primary prevention and therefore the involvement of primary care. And, and how would you see this potentially rolling out in the primary care community? Um, in terms of, I guess, making it streamlined and efficient and, and really making the experience for patients uh, the best possible? A, a very important point, Emily. You know, primary care, our colleagues are really the front line of people seeking attention for, 
for possible lung cancer and other lung conditions. And we rely on them tremendously uh, to get the patients to us so that we can then make, help make the diagnosis and help get the uh, treatments going. So we are absolutely uh, evaluating our, our partners in general practice. And the challenges there for lung cancer diagnosis is that a single GP may only see in a few may only see a few cases uh, in in each year. So it's sort of finding out the cancers from the, all the other lung conditions that can present very similar symptoms. There are very few specific symptoms uh, that are just purely lung cancer related that alerts us. So it's sort of awareness. And um, in this uh, context, we've talked about the lung, the cancer strategy's efforts to uh, empower GPs, but also the report highlights the importance, the center place that GPs will play in getting uh, people at risk of lung cancer to the screening program. So I think um, as uh, efforts now to, efforts are now being made to empower the GP, to ensure the GP is right there at the front, along with other primary healthcare providers, healthcare workers and so on, to get participants to this effective treatment in an intervention. And, and listening to all of this, there's so much that we don't know about how this is going to work and, and uh, how we're going to do it in Australia. What would you see as some of the, the big areas of research? I mean, Australia is busy doing its own screening trial. And, and what, what do we need to think about research-wise going forward, do you think? Emily, there's so many things in research that I guess, as, as you mentioned, you know, one of the things is smoking. We want to make sure, you know, Australia's doing very well smoking. We want to make sure we continue to do that. And this is one of the possibilities how we can encourage further smoking cessation through a screening program. The other areas, I think, as we've mentioned, are areas of uncertainty. How do we reach those with lung cancer who don't meet current criteria? How do we uh, make sure we reach the hard-to-reach and underrepresented populations, those with worse outcomes from lung cancer currently? How do we reach unusual or less common presentation of lung cancer, people who never smokers, uh, familiar lung cancer, younger people of lung cancer? These are all very important issues to tackle in the uh, forthcoming years. And, and just as we uh, head towards the end of our time here talking today, um, the government is, I think, uh, as you said, considering the introduction of lung cancer screening and Cancer Australia completed that very comprehensive report despite the viral pandemic. Thinking about timelessness of lung cancer screening, what, what are your thoughts on urgency, how we should address the, the pressing need for lung cancer screening and what we really want to offer people at risk? important issue is and I think you know as a clinician myself personally and I think many of my colleagues are very I commend the government uh, for taking up the uh, the uh, issue of lung cancer screenings considering how it's done and with the very comprehensive and clear report from Cancer Australia I think you know we'd urge government and uh, decision makers to really consider this to see how we can implement lung cancer screening as rapidly as possible in order not to miss out on benefits for people who may benefit in the next few years rather than waiting for, you know, a, a lot of years to get this implemented and to get it going and in maybe a pilot or demonstration phase even before massive national rollout, which clearly has to be very carefully considered and work across jurisdictions, federal, state and territory, and also existing healthcare providers. 
So I think we've got a very challenging but also very interesting time ahead of it. It's very much a privilege to work in the lung cancer screening community with uh, with all of our colleagues. Any final words to, to people who might be uh, out in the community looking forward to lung cancer screening in the hopefully near future? Oh, yes. I think, you know, we've all got to make sure that this uh, the issue of screening and how we can implement it and how we can improve people's health remains front and centre of our overall uh, health effort, improving general health, including lung health and cancer and avoiding cancers. Such a big topic. We may have to go into this again uh, another time in the future, but thank you very much for your, your time today. Thank you, Emily.